0: Uh, and our passage um, today is in John um, verse, uh, chapter uh, 17. And what we're on this, this journey um, together during Lent. Where we're really looking at Jesus' longings, at His un unfulfilled desires, his, his uh, desires for the future. And we look particularly at his prayers. And, and today we'll be looking at, at a prayer that talks about how the, 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 the church needs to be prepared, needs to be ready for the challenges of what it means to follow Jesus. And and to to prepare us as we go into this, you know, I mean, just for even what we encounter coming today of singing God's praises, but then facing grief and pain. But even more so, we're going to hear today in our passage how Jesus longs for the church that he's leaving. This is like his uh, one of his closing statements, his closing prayer. And it was often in the first century that rabbis would pray out loud, not only um, uh, so that folks would join in, but but also to hear how one so wise would be praying and what their desires were, what their longings were and what we're going to find here. And I, I want I want to prepare us because this is a familiar passage in some ways, but I want to prepare us for what Jesus is going to say so that we're recognizing what he's getting at here and, and because it's a really a radical redefinition of what largely we understand the church to be. Because what Jesus is getting at here is the church is an army that is in the midst of a battle. And it's a battle against evil. It's a battle against sin. It's a battle against the devil himself. Now, he has won the victory. It is well with our soul. We know a day will come when the victory will be won, but until that day, He is working in the church to train us, to prepare us for facing the evil in our world, in our own souls, and in the devil himself. I mean, it's a real battle. And, and so if, you're, if you've ventured in here today uh, thinking, you know, I think I'll check this Jesus guy out. Maybe, maybe he'll help me with my life, you know, make me a little more just at peace, make things a little better in my life. I just want to tell you, well, you know, that is an incomplete notion of what the church is. What we, we, we call the good, this is that Jesus comes to bring good news. You know, we call it the gospel. He comes to bring good news. And a part of that good news is that Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay the price for your sin so that you are forgiven and you can be right with God and you can live with God forever. Praise be to the Lord this day and forevermore. I mean, that is the God that is part of the gospel, but it's incomplete because Jesus continues on and saying, now, if you want it, if you want that, then that means you can be a part of this team. You can be a part of this army because this army now is going forward to live according to the ways of God in this world. And this world does not receive that well. He he tells us there's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition. He's telling these guys then, literally, some of you are going to die for this. So he's preparing them. It's it's much like the work that the church did in in this country in the 60s, particularly around civil rights. Folks like Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth and Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., yeah, as they led that, it was, a, it was a movement of the gospel. It was a movement of God's people pursuing what is right and good and opposing the evil that is entrenched in our, even in our own nation. Right? Where we said that certain people are slaves and others aren't. Where we dehumanized a group of people because of the color of their skin or where they were from. That's evil. That's straight out of the pit of hell. You know, it was even in our own founding documents, right? I mean, the Declaration of Independence. You know, it calls natives of this land savages, even though all men are created equal. Or we counted slaves as three-fifths of a human. Now, there may be reasons for that that you can understand. That doesn't make it any less evil. Matter of fact, that makes it evil. Really evil. I wish the devil would show up with a pitchfork and a tail. But he usually shows up in other ways. In ways that we might even say are good or understandable. You see, that's the battle that the church is on. And in that battle, like that the the church was, was fighting then, it cost people their jobs, their lives. I imagine that had to be one of the most difficult things... Of the leaders of that movement to know that people followed to pursue what is the way of the kingdom, what we know to be right and just, that they lost their jobs and they lost their children. That because in that battle, isn't it? This this I share to say, this is the notion of the battle that we face. That some men were so overcome by the devil that they put a bomb in 16th Street Baptist Church to go off on Sunday morning and four little girls in their Sunday best lost their lives. This is an expression of the deeper battle that we face. That that involves all of life. Because all of life is God's. And so Jesus is recognizing this. He sees this. He sees the evil. He sees how he's come among them. And look what it got him to be pursuing what is just and good. What happened to him? He ended up on the cross. And now he's saying, if you want to follow me, then come, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So so now, as he's seeing that before him, now he's saying, alright, so God, I need you to protect them. I need you to keep them. I I need you to set them apart. Keep them there. Take care of them. Because this battle is real. And it's going to test them beyond their capacities in this battle against the devil and against evil. Alright, so... Preach my sermon before we read the passage it's all right I'll preach it again as we go don't don't worry um but I wanted to set the scene for what this passage is getting at here what what Jesus is facing and that we have limited the gospel to be just about personal satisfaction and salvation Don't get me wrong. It is that. But it's not limited to that. And when we limit to that, it is incomplete. It is about God bringing that salvation and healing to anyone and everyone. And then joining them together as an army. That then are sent forth to proclaim in word and deed this good news. All right, so let's, let's jump into John 17, verse 6. And we'll catch this um, uh, with uh, as Jesus is, is letting his longings um, go forward. All right, verse 6 of 17. I've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me, I've given to them. And they have received them, and they know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I See, this is the army that he's pulled together. He has called them together and they are believers in Jesus. They're sold out. I mean, this is the good news that now they are secure in God and God is secure in them. They've been given the words of of truth and and indeed, As we were just singing, we know who we are. I know who I am. I am His and He is mine. This is what we celebrate. Verse Where did I leave off? Nine. If I read it, I'll read it again. That's not a bad thing. I'm asking on their behalf. There we go. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I'm no longer in the world. They are in the world, and I'm coming to you. And here's, here's the, the essence of his request. Here is his impa- the, the, the command he gives to, to the Father. Which is what prayers are. I mean, we're asking, but they're, they're, God, do this. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I mean, you know, for us, you know, connecting us in Jesus, no matter our differences, this is one of our, you know, mottos right here. This is the, one of the flagship verses. It's not because we want to be politically correct or you know be a good um, in some way. You know, help to to bring peace. No, this is the very nature of God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and so if we are in God, and God is one, therefore we are one. That is what is true. That is what is real. And so our charge is now to live into that. And Jesus knows, man, that when we face opposition, right? When we face struggle, that will tear at the fabric of the unity of God's people. You know, you, you know that's the case, right? And, and your, your, your most uh, um, uh, intimate relationships, you know, and, and, and your most uh, um, connected relationships, that's the place where also the most pain is possible. And, you know, when challenges come, then that tears at the fabric. Uh, uh, Barb Enderly and Mike uh, Enderly, Barb was sharing in, in first service how she woke up this morning to a flooded basement. And that that caused a few words of tension between her and Mike. And that's going to happen. All the more so when we face the evil of the devil himself. So, therefore, it's not let's be one. It's like, no, let's go to God. Let's be in God. And if we are seeking after God, then God will bring about that unity among us. But they go hand in hand. There's just no separating our unity with God and our unity with one another. There is no gospel that does that. The cross is two ways for a reason. And so God knows, Jesus knows that's going to happen. Knows that battle, so He wants to strengthen us. He wants God. God, you got to strengthen them. You got to keep them together. Keep on. I've been with them. You almost know, hear his anxiety, like a parent sending their child off to college. You know, go with them. Be with them. Because the battles are going to come. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them in your name that you've given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except for the the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. All right, now, verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I mean, that's why we can sing that this is Jesus' joy that's not dependent on circumstances. You know, because he knows if we're trying to go fight the evil within us and our own selfishness, if we're trying to, to fight the evil in the world around us, if we're trying to fight the devil in our own power, there is no joy. We will lose every time. You know, we all experience that. We all experience in our own power, we fail, we're broken, we're sinners, we're selfish. And we all beat ourselves up when we see that. I mean, And so Jesus said, no, man, and you got to do that because this, this is so they have that joy because that joy, if they're really on this team, they're not going to have joy unless you give it to them, unless they find it in you. It's got to be in something beyond what they see, t- taste, or, or feel. It, it's got to be about something which is eternal. So give them that joy. You know, this was the week of the, the death of uh, Billy Graham. You know, America's pastor in the, um, the 20th century. And, uh, you know, interesting, I mean, to have that happen this week and it's the end of African American History Month and all the rest going on. But, you know, I thought about um, this in relation to um, uh, this, this text that Billy, Billy Graham shares. One of his greatest failures in ministry was in the beginning of his ministry and that was around the issues of race. His early crusades in the South were segregated and his thought was, you know, I want to do whatever I can to let people hear about Jesus. And if the customs in the South are to have blacks on one side and whites on the other, then we'll do that. Because so, so we don't want to cause trouble. We want to get in place so that people, the maximum number of people can hear. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you can see where that would come from. You might even say, that's good missiology. Until some of his uh, uh, black friends said, What exactly are you saying when you do that? When you allow for a Christian meeting to be segregated, is that the gospel? Or is that a sign of the incomplete gospel of just being about individuals and not about Jesus bringing together a team? And he repented. So that was a sin on my part, and it was in and and he realized then the acuity of the devil to address our unity and he in Chattanooga, actually it was the first place that he came down from the podium as they were setting up and removed the signs and the ropes, telling. Blacks to go one place and whites to the other. And today, you know, we look at that and we celebrate that. We say, wow, That was a man who was sold out ultimately for the kingdom. And he was surrounded by people who were sold out for the kingdom. And when he started going the wrong way, they gathered around and said, No, that is the wrong way. And today we look back and say, Whoa, what a powerful sign of the reality of God in his life. Because that wasn't a good business decision. It wasn't one that was going to bring about a, a lot of support in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1955. But it was the work, it was the way of the kingdom. And it brought him and others and us today, and I guarantee you, today for Billy Graham, he rejoices on the day that he tore those down. Even though he faced such opposition to do it then. That's the joy that that Jesus brings us, that we can sing, it is well with my soul. Even in the midst of the battles of our day. Alright, so, verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Hey, see, that's not that the world's, ah, they're going to oppose you, they're not going to lie. No, they're going to hate you. The way of the world hates the way of Jesus. Again, that battle is strong. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. And the devil himself will oppose with no rules, no holds barred. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. And then this is really a second real, the, the, the command that he gives to God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Have you sent me into the world? So I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I'll read one more verse. It's not on the screen. But I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on those who will believe in me through their word. So that's me. Because some people like to say, well, you know, that first part, he's only talking to the disciples that were right there. Those 12. Well, to correct that, you just read verse 20 and Jesus makes it clear he's praying this for the church throughout time because the battle doesn't change the way that it is fought it changes but it doesn't change and so here you know he's saying for those well anyone here who believes in Jesus we believe we can tie our spiritual lineage back to the disciples that heard Jesus say this so This is to us. All right, so, but his command in verse 17 to God is asking of God the Father, sanctify them. Now, sanctify them means to to set them apart. Sanctify. We also use the word holy, you know, and it's like, well, we set things apart for holy purposes, you know, sort of like, you know, we have uh, different things like this cross and the table and these, this Bible. We set them apart, you know, for holy purposes as we come in the sanctuary. Well, in the same way, the church, you and I, we're sanctified. We're, we're set apart for holy purposes. And then so Jesus is saying, you know, don't let them get in the world and become mixed up in the world and become like the world. In another setting, he said, we're in the world, but not of the world. And he knows that the, the battles going to be great, going to be destroying our unity, or it's going to make us negligible in the world, make us uh, useless in the world. It's going to make us look just like the world. And then that doesn't make any difference in the world. We, we aren't the people that he's called. And so he knows that is the other part of the battle. So he's strengthen them, Lord. Keep them. Sanctify them in the truth. And now that's why we gather here. That's why we gather in Bible study classes in small group. That is why you read your Bible every day. That is why you pray it, it's, it's part of training. It's part of being prepared, being set apart to be God's people in a world that doesn't know them but needs them desperately. You know, back to civil rights, you know, at times they, they, in churches, you know what churches would have regularly, particularly with Dr. King and, and Reverend Shuttlesworth, were nonviolent training sessions. If you see the movie Selma, it was a couple years back, they have a little scene about that. Just, they would, they would act, when we go to protest, when we go to peacefully march, what do you do when people tell you, inward, go home? Or when they spit at you, or they throw feces at you, what are you gonna do? How do you follow Jesus then? How do you turn the other cheek? How do you bless those that hate you? How do you bless those that persecute you? What are you going to do? And then they would train for that. They'd have some people be the people that would oppose them, and then others, well, this is what we're going to... And they'd carry their placards, and others would do those things to them so that they would learn how to respond as they thought Jesus would call them to respond by turning the other cheek, but continuing to stand for what is true and right in the fullness of His kingdom. That's, that's why we do Bible study as we walk through the, the gauntlet of, the, of the, the, the evil one and the evil in our world and even the evil in our own soul, we need to be trained to know how, to, how do I live in a way that is characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, keeping my promises even when it hurts me. That's what Bible study is for, being fed His Word, being trained in His Word, so that we're set apart as that kind of people. So, um, the application from this, then, is one, first and foremost, Is that what you see church as? Is that what you see following Jesus as? Are are there ways that you've been infected? Are there ways we've been infected by the incomplete gospel? That It's really very prominent, particularly in America. That it's just really about me and salvation, sort of getting my ticket punched. You know, so think, you know, one, think about that. And second, think about, all right, do I have a real sense of my time in prayer and Bible study and Christian fellowship as being a time of preparation, being set apart as an army for love, for righteousness, for goodness, for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace? Do, do I see that as the reason that I'm here and participate in, in those things? And the third application is, am I even doing it? Okay, well, let me, let me get on part of the training. Jesus longs for the Father to, to truly work in us, to protect us in Him, to be unified in Him as we face the battle. And He longs for the Father to be at work in us, to set us apart, to be His people. That's why He came. That's what He's already accomplished. And now we live in to that reality. Amen.